church started. You know, not not every place is created equal. Some places, uh, I can tell you this. Uh, we were talking a little bit about it before church. Uh, he said, he said, you know, where would you rather live in Peru or Italy? And I said, well, if there's a minister in Peru. That means it was very easy to minister. People would come to you. They would listen to you. They were very open. They were, they were a poorer people. And so they were very open to the gospel. Uh, but, but if I had to live someplace, I'd rather live in Italy because it was more comfortable living. But the, but the minister there, the people were very hard. They were not open to the gospel. They were not interested in God. Uh, they were, they were fairly well off and had their religion. And so I don't know what Athens is like, but I do know, uh, it is a difficult place to get a church started. And so, uh, we want to just kind of get an update on that and then be a blessing and, uh, and continue to pray for, for Matt Peachy and his family. Uh, and his family was not able to be here tonight, uh, but he's here and, uh, and I'm grateful for that. I met him many years ago. I don't even remember. I was out in Pennsylvania at a church that supported us and, uh, and his family was there. It was before they went to Bible college. And, and then he, uh, he packed his family up and went out to Heartland Baptist College and graduated. And now he's down in Athens, Ohio. So we certainly appreciate Brother Matt Peachy. Glad that you're here this evening, brother. Come ahead and tell us a little bit about Athens and the work there and then preach the message that God's laid on your heart, brother. Yes, All right. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Brother Rice. Uh, Pastor Rice, it's a blessing to be with you here tonight. Would you make your way tonight uh, to Acts in chapter number 17? Acts 17. And as you're turning there tonight, I thought I'd give you a little bit of a background and uh, a little bit of a history, maybe, perhaps, uh, and God's call in our life and things such as that. And uh, I'm going to say thank you to your pastor for the privilege tonight to come and preach behind this pulpit. Certainly it's a privilege, and I'm thankful I don't take it lightly. And any time uh, you have opportunity to stand behind a pulpit and preach God's Word, certainly is a uh, time that is fraught with uh, willingness to uh, desire to hear from God and also a yieldedness and a hope that He would speak to our hearts. And I pray that God will do that tonight. Brother, Pastor Rice has really been an encouragement to our family. I remember him coming through town on, you know, uh, to get support and such as that for the mission field. And, uh, you know, back in those days, I hadn't been saved very long, and I was really encouraged by how... Uh, uh, this whole family had a heart to serve God. And it was a big family too, all right? And they were uh, going from place to place. And I thought, you know, that's the kind of man I want to be for God. I want to be that kind of man who'd be willing to go wherever God would send. And I, I think, I'm thankful for Pastor Rice and his investment on the mission field and both there and, and here now. And certainly a blessing. Uh, I want to give you just a, a brief history, uh, very brief, very quick. Uh, but I was saved at the age of 28. I'm 43 now, all right? I, I don't know. I've heard some say I look young, some say I look old, whatever. But 28 years old, I was saved. And at the age of 35, God called me to ministry. And so we had a home, a family. We were established. And so to go into ministry, that meant a call to preach is a call to prepare. God called us to go to Heartland Baptist Bible College, uh, where we prepared. And then from Heartland Baptist Bible College, the Lord led us to Athens, Ohio. And uh, Pastor Troy Klein, of course, was the, the founding pastor, the church planting pastor there at Bible Truth Baptist Church in Athens, Ohio. And God used him in a mighty way for many years to pile furrow for God and to do a great work. And we were privileged to come behind him in the year of 2020. It's been now two and a half years uh, since we've been in Athens, Ohio. And uh, as Pastor Rice has already said, it's difficult to explain the, diff the, the, the hardness of the field of Athens, if I could call it a field. I know it's in southeast Ohio, uh, but certainly it's a, it seems as if it is a mission field. 
because of the, multi, the multicultural diversity, the broad socioeconomic status of the different peoples and such as that with the college town, it's very, very unique, a very unique place to minister. And certainly, um, one like-minded church in the area had endeavored to, to plant a church in Athens, Ohio. And after, I believe it was like five years, they basically wrung their hands and went, this, the church planner went back to his home church. It was a, it was a difficult field. Then shortly after that, church planner had gone. Then Brother Klein had come, and he ministered there for 10 years. And uh, he was faithful to the Lord. I love Brother Klein. I, I've met him a couple times, not had an opportunity to get to know him like you all got to know him. But I love him in the Lord. I'm so thankful for his investment. I stand on his shoulders tonight for the investment that he made in Athens, Ohio. Certainly a blessing to come behind and to be able to, to take over where he left off. Now, despite his work and his labor of 10 years, uh, when we came, we had five members at Bible Truth. And so you think the, the process of time, 10 years in a community and five members. Now, there were some people visiting. Now, a lot of the people hadn't made commitments to stay and things such as that. But Brother Klein, he warned me. He said this, if you come, you better pray for your family. Pray for your family. He said this. He said there is a, a, a very swift spiritual undercurrent in this town. He said you're not going to notice it when you first come. But it's there. It's, it's almost like a riptide. It's a, it's a stiff undercurrent that's in the town. And I thought, oh boy, Lord, what are you getting us into? And uh, certainly thankful uh, to have privilege to serve. But I, I can testify this, after two and a half years, I would say this, that there is indeed a palpable spiritual cloud that hangs over the city. And I, I hope to share that with you tonight, not in a way that's going to be hopefully not discouraging, but in a way that will show, show you and, show, and, and give opportunity for me to share my heart with you about what God's doing there and the victories he's given, but nonetheless, the difficulties we often face in areas such as this. And as I prayed about where to preach and what text to, to deal with tonight, uh, there is a place in the scriptures that is like unto the difficulty of Athens, Ohio, and it was Athens, Greece. Acts chapter 17 and I will begin our reading in verse number 16. The Bible says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now, it's, it's, it's important as we get into our text tonight that you catch verse 16. Do you see where it says his spirit was stirred? He saw the idolatry. He saw the city given over to it, and his, his, his heart was stirred. It broke his heart when he saw the city of Athens. Verse 17, therefore disputed he with the, in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily and with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Aragapius, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but in either to tell or to hear some new thing. So Athens was a city of higher learning. It was a city where they wanted to hear new doctrines, new teachings, new religions. And, and they were excited to hear about all these things, but they had never heard about Christ. They had never heard about the resurrection. Verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar unto, with this inscription, 
to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, I declare unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he hath Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Notice he speaks of God's creative power. He says this, And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before, appointed the bounds of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of the own, our own, your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of his ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, he's speaking of Christ, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from them. But notice verse 34. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius, the Agapeite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. I'd like to preach a message to you tonight entitled, Preaching Jesus to Idolatrous Intellectuals. Preaching Jesus to Idolatrous Intellectuals. And Lord, I come to you tonight, and as humbly as I know how, Lord, I just ask for your help to preach. Thank you for your word. I pray, O God, that you might bless your word, that you might use me, Lord, tonight to, to speak forth what you have already said, to make good application to our hearts and our lives tonight. And Lord, would you stir us tonight? As we look upon a world wholly given to idolatry, would you help us, Lord, to catch what Paul had, and Lord, to live out our faith, and, our, and, our, and to reach the, the people of this world who are lost and dying without Christ. Would you burden us tonight, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Question for you tonight, has God ever laid it on your heart to preach the gospel to someone you knew without a doubt was going to disagree with you? and they didn't want to hear it. Like, you didn't even have to wonder. You, you could just tell, like, this isn't going to go well. Uh, they're not going to want to hear what I have to say, but the Holy Spirit's going, you need to tell them, you need to tell them. Preaching Jesus Christ in Athens, Ohio, is this way. I want to tell you a little bit about the town tonight. I just want to give you a glimpse of it, and I'm, I'm thankful tonight. I want to be encouraging. God's doing a work. Uh, but as you know, Athens, Ohio is the home of Ohio University. Ohio University was started in 1787. That's about 230 years. It's a university town. And, uh, you know, you think university towns are often very, very liberal places. Athens, Ohio is no exception. And I wasn't around in 1960, all right, but I've read books. I've read about it. And when I, when I read about things like the Cultural Revolution that swept forth in the 1960s, and understand the, what happened, and as I read about those things, and then I walk down the streets of Athens, I go, okay, I see it. Well, you might say, well, preacher, what do you mean? Well, the 60s that sparked the protests and promoted all the, the communistic hippie culture, when that happened in that time frame, Athens, Ohio embraced it. They embraced it. To the point where, uh, even today, native Athenians, 
And I say it that way because they pride themselves by that title, Athenians. The men often will have the long hair, the tie-dye shirts. Some may or may not be wearing deodorant. And there's always a faint whiff of marijuana in the air. Many of the native Athenian ladies, uh, many, now not all, but many of them are single ladies. And the reason they're single ladies is because many of them lead rabid feminist lifestyles. Uh, Many uh, of the houses as you drive through Athens City are... Uh, have these signs out front. I'm sure you have them here. I think they're everywhere. But when you see them at pretty well every home, you get a sense for what the community is like. You might say, well, what signs are you talking about? Well, the BLM signs, the LGBTQ plus signs, the the rainbow flags, all these things. Uh, Love is love. Certainly uh, celebrating a homosexual lifestyle. And it's, it's uh, in Athens City, this is something that is uplifted, as good, as wholesome, as something that ought to be attained by all people. That's Athens, Ohio. And um, there's mur- there are murals around the city. Now, these murals are painted on the sides of businesses, on retaining walls. And uh, if you've ever seen some of the murals that are perhaps from communist China that depict a utopian communistic um, ideal, these, these, these uh, murals reflect that. It's, it's, it's deep into the culture of the, of the city, and, and certainly it's something that, 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 that has to be overcome, and certainly it's, the gospel is powerful enough to break through it. We often knock on those doors that have those flags, that have those signs, and my son will say, well, we know how this is going to go. Kind of, we kind of chuckle as we get to the door. Hey, hey, son, they need the gospel, you know, and that's what they do if it's their business, but I want to tell them about the Savior. And uh, so praise the Lord for the opportunity to do that. Uh, and, it's, and actually, uh, it, one of the things about intellectuals is uh, oftentimes intellectuals really aren't that smart. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but have you ever heard of the phrase educated into imbecility? Uh, I think I believe it was Malcolm Muggeridge that coined that term. Well, the philosophies of, the, of, the, of, the, of Athens, Ohio, the liberal ones uh, anyway, are very much contradictory. And it actually became very evident in the front page of the newspaper recently. Because there was a downtown shop owner who was a rabid feminist who, who declared that it was unjust that people who were transitioning from being biological men to women would be given women's rights. So within the liberal mindset, you have the rabid feminists now fighting with another camp. And it's on the front page of the newspaper. And there was 100 people protest. It shut down that portion of the city for a period of time. The Lutheran church in Athens, as you drive through the main drag, has a banner that hangs on the church. It's a rainbow-colored banner. It says this, love is love, be the church. At the corner of one street, from about early December until the middle of February, there hung an effigy on a cross, life-size effigy of a demon with a Santa Claus cape on it, nailed to a cross. Krampus. They hold, a, they, hold a, they hold a parade for this on December 5th every year. The Ridges. The Ridges is a state mental asylum. The Ridges is no longer uh, 
functioning and the buildings are there. Now this, the university has the buildings. But the ridges are one of the top five paranormal, paranormal hotspots in Ohio for demonic activity and the paranormal. People travel from all around the nation to visit the ridges. Why? Because there's a satanic cloud that hangs over the, 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 this, the town. Because there is certainly a difficulty. Now, uh, one of the hot spots, of course, there is, is Athens, Ohio, for the, uh, for the demonic activity. And you might think, well, really, is it, is it really that bad? Do you really encounter people that are steeped in this kind of thing? And, well, I, I don't want to mention any names tonight. I know we're being live-streamed. But I, I do want to tell you, I, I, we had an opportunity to meet with a lady. She knew Christ. But she was mixed up. And as we began to talk to her, she began using some terminology. And I said, you know, a lot of the terminology you're throwing out there is, is Wiccan. She's talking about things like the solstice and other things. And I said, have you gotten mixed up in witchcraft? She said, yes. And she said, I can't, I can't separate where the Bible ends and where witchcraft starts. And I, she got so mixed up. And, and, I, and she literally was afraid for her life as Halloween approached. Because as you know, during Halloween, this is a time when uh, some satanic activity goes on. She was fearful for her life. She said to us, she said, the occult movement in Athens, Ohio is very big. There are very wealthy people involved. And she said, I, uh, I'm just appalled by it. And so we, praise the Lord, we had opportunity to counsel with her and gave her some good counsel. And, you know, she's hit and miss at church. We don't always get to see her. And so that's one aspect of Athens, Ohio. But the other aspect is kind of 180 degrees in the other direction because then you have the poor people. The poor people who really can't afford to have good housing. The poor people who perhaps were coal miner families and, and the drug use and the addiction and the difficulty. Uh, you know, as I think about Athens, Ohio, I've never been to San Francisco, I've never been to Portland, Oregon, but I would imagine that Athens, Ohio is a bit of a microcosm of those cities with the political mindset, with the, the fallout from all that culture and all those things. Uh, Athens even champions things like green energy, sustainability, and toes the line on basically every liberal, liberal political agenda you can think of. They toe the line on it. Athens, Ohio is a mission field. It's a mission field that chews up preachers and their families and spits them out. And I don't say that to you lightly. I understand what I'm saying tonight. Uh, you know, I'm so thankful for Pastor Klein. I'm so thankful for his investment. I'm so thankful for others who have come and labored. I'm thankful God has called us there to labor and God's doing a work. And, and praise the Lord, the church is growing. It is, and God's doing a work. We need your prayers. We covet your prayers. And, and, and so, um, as I think about the, what God has done in this short two and a half year period of time, I'm encouraged for the future. But I, I want to give you a report, too, that, that uh, I work a full-time job. So I used to think, uh, before when I got saved, I thought preachers had it easy. I mean, they just preach. Uh, Brother Jacobs, uh, Pastor Rice, they just preach on Sunday, and it's like they're off six days of the week. I mean, you really don't do much of anything if you're a preacher. Then God made me a pastor. Then after 70, 80 hours a week, right? And I'm talking about before the full-time job. Yep, and, and, then, and then to work a full-time job and then to pastor a church. Pray for your preacher. Pray for the faithful servants of God. Many of you are, are faithful, you work a job, you serve in the church, and I, I tell you, that's a glory hallelujah. It's a shot in the arm to a preacher, it's a shot in the arm to the church, and, and praise the Lord, we've got people like that at, at Bible Truth. But our emphasis at Bible Truth Baptist Church is this right here, preaching the word. 
This is what's going to help Athens, uh, programs, the, 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 the complicated ways of getting people in the door and all these different things. No, we're not going to do that. We're just going to preach God's word and focus on fulfilling the Great Commission. That means this, to see people saved, to disciple, or rather, let's, let's back up, to, to baptize those who have been saved, that's church membership, to disciple, and then to make those people equipped to go and make other disciples. And it's not until that happens that the Great Commission has been fulfilled. And friend, praise the Lord, we're beginning to see some things happen that way. We're seeing uh, ministries and people of the church getting involved. We have nursing home ministry on Tuesday night, every other, or Tuesday afternoon, every other Tuesday. Praise the Lord for some ladies in the church that have gotten involved with that. And thankful for my son who preaches that. And uh, we, we have some men's meetings, some teens meetings, some ladies meetings. People are getting involved, they're getting interested, and God's doing a work. And uh, since we've been there, uh, there's, I'm not, listen, I'm not a big numbers person, but numbers give some perspective. And I want to give you a few numbers tonight. And there's been about 20 people who have come to know Christ since we've been in, uh, back last year. Uh, I think it was July, around the end of July. We had 26 people make professions of faith when Cleveland Baptist Church came. And, and so they did the SMITE program. Many of y'all are familiar with that. And what a blessing that was to see those people to, to trust Christ and then to do the follow-up. And we're able to get some bus riders from that. I say bus riders. We don't have a bus, all right? We have people that go out and help. And we can call it bus ministry. It's all right. Currently, we're running about 30 to 40 on a Sunday. That's a blessing. I'm, I'm thankful for what God's doing. And Lord willing, the, this beginning of April, Lord willing, on the 2nd, we're planning to baptize th- three believers who are saved, and uh, they've been through some discipleship, and they understand what baptism is, what it isn't, and a few others are set to join by letter. So we're excited, and, and if all this goes according to plan, then we'll be upwards of 20 people, something like that, on our membership. And that's a huge thing for Bible truth. It's a blessing. I'm thankful for it. Now, with that in mind tonight, and a little bit of a, a glimpse of Athens, Ohio, let's turn our focus now back to our text, to Athens, Greece. Okay? Now, when Paul visited the city of Athens, Greece, in verse number 16, he was greatly distressed by the flood of idolatrous, idolatrous culture, which totally submerged the city. He was overcome by it. Athens, uh, I'm talking about Athens, Greece, was a, a city of intellectual snobbery. It was really a has-been city of, of a great college that had once been wonderful, but it was in the sunset of its glory. Uh, throughout ancient history, Athens, Greece had, had been one of the most glorious cities of the ancient world. It had literature, it had art, it had architecture. Thought flourished and prosperity was rampant. It was a beautiful place. But as I studied this out, what was appalling was this. There was just as many idols as there were people in Athens. I mean, you would go down the street and you'd see wooden and stone and, and, and different kinds of idols, literal statues that people worshipped. It was a dark place. It was like a typical college city. Men did little else than than debate and exercise their mental faculties and debate philosophies and such the like. Imagine walking down the ancient streets of Athens, Greece, and you're rubbing shoulders with those snobbish intellectuals, and and they're talking about their their philosophies and this and that as they look down your noses at you. And I I imagine that's what Paul experienced when he walked through the city, and he he was stirred in his heart. No doubt, as he looked at the city, he was overwhelmed by the architecture. He was overwhelmed by, by, by the artwork and the beauty of the city. But the, the beauty of it all was, was really, it was under a cloud. And that cloud was a spiritual darkness because it, there was just idolatry. And, and, and the glory that belonged to God alone in heaven was given to these idols. And it stirred Paul. It broke his heart. Friend, the city of Athens, Ohio, and perhaps your city. Uh, listen, Athens is not the only hard place to minister in this world. I understand that. 
But Athens, Ohio, and our whole world is, an or, has a, is really an ornate culture that's wholly given to idolatry. If you think about it tonight, think with me tonight. It, it breaks my heart and it stirs my spirit to see ornate religious buildings used for something other than preaching Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the beautiful city of Athens, Greece? All these beautiful buildings, and all of them just devoid of truth, devoid of the gospel. The beauty of of man-made architecture, but the darkness of spiritual decay. It grieves my heart when I see the Taj Mahal-like buildings of the the Mormons, the LDS church, and I, I say church lightly, the JW building across the way in Athens. It grieves my heart to see them remodeling and, 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 and getting, a, even just this week, Brother Rice got something in the mail. Just want to let you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses are in town. If you have any questions, just give us a call. And man, it grieves my heart. It grieves my heart to see in Athens, Ohio, the multi-million dollar buildings that could be used for church services, but in fact are not being used for that. They're not lifting up the name of Christ. Athens has hundreds of millions, yea, even billions of dollars of buildings with Ohio University. I mean, beautiful buildings. But they preach and they teach a secular philosophy like unto the Epicureans and the Stoics. They don't teach about Jesus. They preach a a dead philosophy that won't save. All these buildings and all the ornate beauty is all wasted on the cults, on the false religions, and the empty secular philosophical instruction is worthless. It's worthless in comparison to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. Friend, you can walk down Court Street and you can see the flags to the idols of BLM, LGBTQ+, all the political parties. You can see the idols of religious utopian thought. That's all marketed as good and wholesome and wonderful. And people have given their lives to it. They're their cults, to their organizations, to their philosophies. The schools and the universities are churning out atheistic religionists to uphold mankind. And, and the culture is the sole diviner of truth and morality, rather than pointing people to the word. Our city of Athens, this world, is wholly given to idolatry. Now, we don't have wooden idols lining the streets. They'd probably get stolen, wouldn't they? <laughs> this day and age, it probably wouldn't be around very long. But idolatry is not necessarily just a wooden idol, friend. It can be anything. It can be, a, it can be a vehicle. It can be a relationship. It can be an organization. It can be a mindset. It can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be sex. It can be pornography. It can be entertainment. The American dream could be an idol. Your financial status, your investments, your plan for your life versus God's plan for your life, it can be an idol. A business, a career can be an idol. Sports can be an idol. Sleep and comfort can be an idol. And politics can become an idol too. They can be. Anything that keeps us from honoring God with our time, talents, and and treasure is an idol that needs to be removed. So how did our culture get so far from God? I'm trying to to stay in step with our text tonight. We're going to move on here in just a minute. But think about Athens, Greece, and think about our culture now. The the lost world that we live in has replaced Genesis 1 with Darwin and Freud, the philosophies. In the beginning, God created. Ex nihilo, he created matter, space, and time out of nothing. That's our God. Darwinian thought seeks to prove the fact that there is no God. It's a theory, but it's passed off as fact. The Ten Commandments certainly have been uh, something that has been a bedrock of biblical morality, but now cultural, cultural relevance seeks to push that even aside. 
the intelligentsia have replaced in God we trust with political mantras, communistic ideals. The Bible may be unpopular, and I understand that tonight. It, it, by and large, the Bible is not as popular as it used to be. But popularity does not determine truth. Popularity does not determine truth. And God is still God. We still live in His world. And the worship and reverence is due only to Him. You know, it ought to agitate us. It ought to burden us when we see the worship and the glory of God that's worthy only to God, belonging only to God, to be giving to such empty, empty and powerless, idolatrous pursuits. It ought to stir us in our spirit, as it says in verse number 16. You know, it grieves my heart. I'll be real frank with you tonight. It grieves my heart when parents will get their kids up and send them to public school to learn about CRT and gender dysphoria. They'll send them to school to learn how to be a furry with, complete with litter boxes in the bathrooms, but they won't get them up Sunday morning to send them to church. It grieves my heart. It grieves my heart when college students give their lives to earning a degree, to serving in academia, but they won't serve God in a local church. It grieves my heart. It's no wonder that churches all across the U.S. are waning in attendance. People have turned to idolatry. They're wholly given over to it. The lost world is in dire need of Christians like Paul who will go into the marketplace of ideas and preach a message that isn't popular but needs to be preached. Well, how do we do that tonight? How do we go into the marketplace of ideas? How do we go into a community, whether it be this community or any other community that is intellectual, that is resistant to the gospel, that's steeped in idolatry? How do we do that? Well, let's look at how Paul did it tonight. What did Paul do in verse number 17? Well, what he did is he took occasion to preach Jesus in some really, really diverse settings. He, he, preached, he preached to local intellectuals, and he engaged them in the marketplace of ideas. Notice with me tonight in verse number 17. He went to the first place he went to was this, the synagogue. Now, that was Paul's favorite place to start, to speak with the Jews. They had a biblical foundation. They knew the true and living God. Of course, they rejected the Messiah, but, and usually it was the Jews that got, got Paul in trouble with that community and ended up he, he would get beat up or drug out of town, such the case. But nevertheless, he went to Athens, and he preached in the synagogue. Not only that, he spoke, as it says in our text tonight, in verse number 17, to devout persons. These devout persons were not Jewish people per se, but they were people who feared God. So even in Athens, Greece, a city wholly given to idolatry, there were still some people who actually feared the true and living God. And he went looking for those people. Not only that, he, he met people daily in the market, in verse number 17. Have you ever gone to the market looking for people to talk to about Christ? Keep a tract in your pocket. See, I'd like to invite you to Anchor Baptist Church. I'd like to tell you about the gospel. And, and you, well, they're not going to want to hear that. They're, they don't want to hear that. Well, you don't ever know. Paul did. He was in the marketplace of ideas, friend. He went and he spoke to people wherever he could. The lost world was in dire need of Christians like Paul who go into the marketplace of ideas and preach Jesus Christ. We need people that will go on public forums like council meetings and university Q&A sessions and share the truth about Jesus Christ. But they're intellectuals, they're not going to want to hear. That's all right, you preach the truth. It's on them. We ought to be burdened. We ought to be careful that idolatry does not seep into our own lives. Well, how do we reach this community? We do it like Paul did. We, we, we preach where, he, where God gives us opportunity. Well, what kind of things did Paul encounter as he did this, as he went to the synagogues, as he spoke to devout persons, as he, as he met people in the, in the marketplace? What kind of philosophies and ideas did he encounter? In verse number 18, it mentions two. We're not going to dive into these real deep. I'm just going to give you a sentence on each of them. 
But our text mentions that he interacted with philosophers from two philosophical belief systems. One was Epicureanism and the other was Stoics. And to keep it succinct tonight, the Epicureans were materialists, they were atheists, and their goal in life was pleasure. The Stoics were pantheists, that means all things are God, and their emphasis was on personal discipline and self-control. Personal discipline and self-control, I call this the Clint Eastwood, you know. The, the, the idea that you're, you're tough and nothing can break you down and that kind of a thing, that was the Stoic. But these learned philosophers confronted Paul when they heard him preaching because they hadn't heard this before. They called him a babbler in verse number 18. A babbler. What does it mean to be a babbler? Well, the word babbler in the Greek, it means this. It means a bird that travels from one plant to another plant. And what they, heard, they accused Paul of doing was plagiarizing and going from this person to this person to this person and passing off all those thoughts as his ideas. Interesting, isn't it? What did Paul say to get this reaction? Well, friend, all he did was preach about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. In verse number 18, that's what he did. He preached about Christ, and they were, but they were trying to fit their understanding of who Christ was into their philosophical and religious paradigms, but Jesus wouldn't fit. He wouldn't fit. But yet it sparked interest, and that's where we see it begins to take a turn here that's really quite unexpected. He gets invited to preach and address the council of philosophers known as Aragopas, the Mars Hill. This would be the equivalent of you getting called to a city hall meeting, and they would call you downtown and say, now listen, I want you to come and preach Jesus for everybody to hear. But only when you got there, it would be thousands of people. Or perhaps the equivalent would be this, primetime TV. All right, Paul got this opportunity. And, and by the way, all the people that were listening, most of them were not interested necessarily in Christ. They were interested in hearing some new thing, but Paul took the opportunity to preach Christ. What's our text saying to us tonight? Friend, you can pre- present Jesus Christ to an idolatrous, intellectual people group in the marketplace of ideas. God wants us to do that. You can. It doesn't matter if it's Athens, Ohio, if it's Maslin, Ohio, wherever you are. God wants you to be able to engage the culture. Even if that culture is idolatrous, even if that culture masquerades as being intellectual. But here's the problem. We're prone to shy away from preaching Jesus to, to intellectuals. Am I the only one tonight? Like, you know, I, I really just don't want to... Because when you get into intellectualism, you know what usually comes right behind that? Pride. Uh, and I don't want anything to do with that, friend, but sometimes there are some people, when you speak to them about the gospel, they, they need to be able to deal with some of their ideas and understand them through the lens of the Bible, and if you help them see that, they'll come to know Christ. Now more than ever, we need spirit-filled believers to lovingly stand in the marketplace of ideas and preach the truth about Jesus. Friend, God wants to empower you. He wants to empower you like he empowered Paul on Mars Hill. He wants to give you a platform to preach Jesus. He'll use your life experiences, your connections, as a platform. He'll stir your spirit. He'll draw you to himself. Now, we're tempted to shy away from these opportunities. We certainly are. But don't sell yourself short. Don't sell yourself short in terms of wisdom and understanding that God's given you. This world is dying for Christians who will stand where God stands and speak the word with boldness like Paul did. Listen, you've got the truth. It doesn't, mean if they, it doesn't matter if they mock it. It doesn't matter if they don't believe it. You've got the truth. 
And when you stand where God stands, friend, you'll never go wrong. He's equipped you with his word. He will stir your spirit. He'll fill your mouth with the words to speak if you'll simply go forward in faith when he prompts you to do it and do what Paul did. But preacher, where do I start? What do I say? What did Paul do? Let's look at our text tonight. I want to give you a sentence tonight that really sums up the text. You can, you can present Jesus to an idolatrous intellectual culture in the marketplace of ideas by doing this, by connecting the culture to the creator and then warning them of the coming judgment. This is what Paul did. He connected their culture to the creator and then he warned them of the coming judgment. Notice with me tonight, he began by find, finding follow, uh, common ground. He said on, on the way to Mars Hill, he said, listen, I beheld your altar to the unknown God. That's the God I'm preaching to you tonight about. You know, there's, there's something in your culture, this, there's this altar here to the unknown God. Let me tell you about that unknown God. He's connecting their culture to the creator. He's connecting their culture. They actually had an altar to worship a nameless God, just in case they missed any. They wanted to cover their bases. And Paul seizes that opportunity and says, well, you have missed the true and living God. I know the God whom you do not know, and that's the God I'm introducing to you tonight. That's what he said. This bears uh, pointing out to us tonight as well. When we present Jesus Christ, we must be careful that we do not present him as a God to be added to the plethora of other false gods, but rather we must show that he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the true and living God. He's exclusive. But as we interact with people, we're not interacting to win an argument. We're interacting because we're stirred for their soul. What, what is it that grieves and, and stirs Paul? What was it that stirred Paul's soul? Well, I, I think it was the fact that there were all these people in that, in that town that did not know Christ. They were destined to hell. And, and not only that, the glory of God that was to be given to him alone was going to these idols, and it grieved him. But he knew instinctively this, that the people of that town needed Christ. They, he knew they were missing something. I call this the metaphysical hook. In other words, people without God know they are missing something. They do. And they will know that they don't have it. If you can find that thing that they're missing and connect their culture to what's missing and point them to the creator like Paul did, then you can reach them for Christ. Finding that common ground, that metaphysical hook. It could be this, that they feel like life is meaningless. Always try to uncover their unexplainable felt need and tie your discussion to that, because what that ensures is this, that you're not trying to win an argument, you're trying to win a person. Personally, uh, what the Lord has used me to do, and I, in Athens even, I, it's, been, it's, it's worked well, and this isn't original with me, okay, this is something I've picked up through process of reading and, and other things, but there's four fundamental questions that every worldview has to answer. Where did I come from? What happens when I die? Why am I here? How should I live? Where did I come from? What happens when I die? Why am I here? How should I live? I always start at the first one. Where did I come from? Listen, we can't go with an Anthidian in Greece. He couldn't go right to John 3.16. He had to go to Genesis 1.1. Where did you come from? 
Where did you come from? Listen, when you talk to, to people in the street today who, who don't know Christ, friend, we have to understand that we, we have to start at Genesis 1 because many people don't even believe that they're created by God. They believe in a naturalistic worldview, uh, big bang and pro- through processes of, t- of time, evolution and all these things. And to tie in the metaphysical hook, you know what the problem with that worldview is? If you are not created by God, then your life is meaningless. Why is it there are so many people in this world that are utterly without hope and their life was without meaning? Because they don't understand that they're made in the image of God and their worth is transcendently given to them from God who created them. It doesn't come from their ability to do this, to do that, their ability in sports or their ability in, in, in study or their ability in their workplace. No, friend, that's not who you are. Who you are is you're made in the image of God. He's the creator. Notice verses 24 and 25. Paul showed them that God was their transcendent creator. God created the world and everything therein, so he's transcendent. He can't live within temples made with hands. He is the giver of life to all mankind. This means he's transcendent. He exists outside of space and matter and time. He created the material world. He does not live within the material world. God says, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house that you'll build me? Where's the place of my rest? And then contrast that with these little idols that would have been around the city of Athens. Paul is helping them to see that your idea of who God is is completely wrong. He goes on to speak of the creator God that he, in verse number 26, that he made all people from one blood. I love this verse. I I love this verse. It blows topics like uh, racism and social justice and prejudice and equality. All those political, I mean, they can get really tangled up politically speaking. But if we just go to the word, the Bible tells us very clearly there's only one race. It's the human race, and God made us all from the same stuff. We're equal in his sight. The ground is level at the foot of his cross. That'll help us. You know, you might encounter a person that is in liberal a liberal mindset, and they're struggling with social justice, or they're struggling with prejudice and equality. And listen, you can tell them that God, the transcendent God of this universe, made all people from the same blood. And because he made all people from the same blood, we're all equal. He's an equal opportunity savior. God has authority because we live in his world and the times and the bounds of his habitation, verse 26. And since God created everything, we ought to seek after him, though he is not far from every one of us. He's knowable. He's knowable. You know, the intellectuals many times they end up being agnostics. Agnostic says, well, I can't tell if there is a God. If there is a God, I don't think we can know him. But Paul says this, you can know him. He's knowable. He's not too far from any one of us. And to illustrate their point, and this is, this is really what he, where he's connecting the culture once again in the next verse, he, he, he quotes two of their poets. The first one he quoted was Ep- Epimendes. He was a Cretan poet. And where he said, in him we live and move and have our being. And then the next quote was from Eratus, who was a Stoic poet. We are his offspring. And so what he's doing is he's quoting the books of their time and then pointing them to the creator. You know, we would do well to be able to understand the other people's viewpoint. Not to read their stuff to, so that we can be versed in it and debate, but rather to read with the heart, well, Lord, would you prepare me so you can use me to reach that person so I can understand enough about what they believe to be able to present a clear view of who you really are. That's what Paul did. We would do well to quote writers and slogans of the day and connect those to the Bible, to connect those to Christ. And then next, Paul draws them to make a 
to make a decision. Since all this is true, you should not think of God as an idol made by man. You see it in verse 29. Since all this is true, since he's transcendent, he's the creator, and he can't be contained in these little wooden statues, and he, he, he's much bigger, and he, he is the transcendent creator. Because this is true, you can't think of him as an idol made by man. He challenged them to change their understanding. He challenged them to make a decision. How did Paul help the people sense the urgency to make a decision and reject their false beliefs and accept the truth? He did something I think we often shy away from. He warned them of the coming judgment. Look at verses 30 through 32. At times of his ignorance, God winked up, but now commandeth, commandeth every, every, I'm sorry, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Listen, folks, you have to believe the truth. He's not, he's not winking at this. You have to repent. Why should we repent? Because, verse 31, he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man who he hath ordained. Who's that man? That's Jesus Christ. He is the creator. But there's a coming day of judgment. Ignorance will not be an excuse on judgment day. God will judge all people and only those who have trusted Christ will be saved. And this is because all authority to judge has been given to Christ who was and is the resurrected Savior. Verse 31. So how did the people respond? I mean, this is an interesting approach that Paul took. How did they respond? Well, by and large, people either mocked God and Paul or they remained skeptical and were willing to give Paul another hearing. It really didn't go very well. This, this wasn't a, one of those high turnout days. In other words, this wasn't a time where multitudes came to know Christ. Their statement that they would hear Paul again was really just kind of a flick of the hand. Oh, yeah, we'll hear you again. They weren't really serious. They didn't want to hear him again. They're like, okay, you can leave now. We don't want to hear it. We've all been there, amen. When you, you know, the body language, you read the body language, and you know they're not interested. I had a friend at Bible college. He didn't care about the body language. He was like a pit bull. He just latched on and kept going. I loved, I loved it. It was good. But Paul took the hint. There would be no church planted in Athens. Very few people responded to the truth. And often the people, though, that pride themselves on being intellectuals are those very people who, won't humble, who will not humble themselves to accept Christ. It's grievous. The same pride that exalted Lucifer or led to his self-exaltation and, and ultimately caused him to be cast out of heaven, that same pride is in all of us, especially those who believe they've attained some degree of intellectual understanding. So you might be thinking tonight, well then, why even try? I mean, it's so difficult. Why even try? I mean, they're just going to mock and they're going to reject. Well, can I tell you tonight why we should try? Because there were some who did hear. And there were some who did believe. And it's found in verse 34. Dionysius there, Agapeite, and also a woman named Demarius. And listen, others. How many others? I don't know. Maybe there were two. Maybe there were three. I don't know. It doesn't say but there were some. There were some. Two believers are mentioned and a few unnamed, and it was worth it all for those. It was worth it all for those. Can I tell you about a young man named Drew? Drew uh, came to our church. He'd been coming for about a year, and he, is, he responded to an altar call one day, and he came forward, and I, I talked to him after the service. He said, Pastor, I got to talk to you. I said, okay, let's go, let's go talk in private. And we go back, and he says, 
Pastor, I think I need to be saved. I began to talk to him. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very careful in dealing with people who want to know Christ as their Savior. Listen, I, it's simply repentance and faith. It's very simple. But I, want him to, I wanted him to understand that this wasn't easy believism. This was a decision that he was making to turn from unbelief to belief in Christ. And, 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 and Christ was going to do a wonderful work in his life, but he had to be willing to turn from that unbelief, and he had to be willing to let go. And as I began to talk to him, he said, you know, I don't think I'm ready. Six months go by, something like that. Preacher, I'm ready. I'm ready. Drew is one of the ones, Lord willing, we'll be baptizing here in April. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you about a, a lady named Mary. She just started coming recently. Very poor. Uh, the plains where the church is located is a very poor area. Mary is a very poor uh, lady and certainly uh, rich in warmth of heart. Lost her daughter recently. She was beating herself up for it. She said, Pastor, you know, I've been wondering what my semi-automatic pistol tastes like. So I began to talk to her. I said, Mary, do you know Christ? She said, yes, and it's your fault. I said, what? She said, I've been fighting him all my life. And I started coming to church and I heard you preach about Christ and I accepted Christ in, my, in the privacy of my home. I know him as my Savior. I said, Mary, your life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. God's doing a work. God's doing a work. God's called us to Athens, Ohio, not to reach a multitude but to be faithful and to proclaim his word to the few who will believe. To the few who will believe. Listen, we're called to proclaim his word. What he does with that is his business, not ours. Like you, we simply want to be found as obedient servants when Christ comes. If or when he builds the church at Athens, that's his business. That's God's business. That's not my business. It's his business. He's called me to be faithful. But how can we preach Jesus to this tough, pagan, intellectual population like Athens? Or perhaps you might have heard this tonight and say, you know, that sounds a lot like where I live. I don't know. My friend, you can preach Jesus to intellectuals by connecting their culture to the Creator and then warning them of the coming judgment. That's what you can do. That's what the text is saying to us tonight. Now, I'm not suggesting tonight that all of Athens will be one to Christ. Realistically, there could be very few. Some areas are certainly very difficult in plowing for the gospel. And there is a reason that some areas are more difficult than others. But when you have the opportunity to present the gospel to intellectual types, I want to challenge you tonight. Don't back down. Don't back down. I'm not saying be mean or spiteful. No, preach the truth in love. But don't back down. They may mock, they, they may reject, but one day they will discover that God is not mocked. They will, his word will stand in front of every, one day every knee will bow. Amen. Every knee will bow. There is a day of judgment coming. 
And I don't say that happily. In fact, it grieves my heart that there's so many are lost and who do not know Christ. But there's a day of judgment coming when God, who is the creator, will keep his word. In the meantime, what does he want us to do? Well, he wants us to connect their culture to the creator and warn them of the coming judgment. Connect their culture to the creator and warn them of the coming judgment. God wants to use you to reach a Dionysius and a Demarius. Their eternal salvation depends on your willingness to preach Jesus. So I want to ask you tonight, will you go to the difficult field God has called you to? Some of you young people, that difficult field might be the school. For some of us who work in a secular setting, your, that field might be the HR department. You think, well, I've got to be careful what I say at work because it's so politically correct anymore. I, mean, I could lose my job. Will you go to that difficult field? Will you be faithful to preach Jesus in truth, in truth and in love and even in those difficult settings? Would you be willing to do that? If, God, if the Holy Spirit of God taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to tell them about Christ, and you look at their appearance and you say, nah, they're not going to be interested, I think that's what Paul thought when he saw the people of Athens, Greece. But he was stirred. He was stirred. Are you stirred tonight? Are you stirred when you see the idolatrous culture and how there are so few people that are giving the glory to God who, who alone deserves the glory and the worship? Are you stirred when you see the multitudes of people that have imbibed secular philosophies and empty, godless mindsets that will result in them meeting the Creator, but on the day of judgment when it will be too late? Does that stir your heart? Will you adopt the missions mindset, the type of mindset that Paul had in Athens? Will you allow God to do that in you? Friend, uh, you can preach Christ to intellectuals by connecting their culture to the Creator and warning them of the coming judgment. Would you stand with me tonight? Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for all those folks that have prayed and labored to preach the gospel all these years. I thank you for the people who prayed over my lost soul and the people who tirelessly witnessed to, even to myself tonight. I, I praise the Lord for that. I praise the Lord for these, your people tonight, many of whom you're using Lord, what was preached tonight, they're already living that out. They're doing it, and it's wonderful. I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I also know that we need re constant stirring, constant revival, if you will, in terms of a burden and a broken heart for a lost and idolatrous culture. And Lord, tonight I pray that you would help us to catch the stirred spirit that Paul had, and Lord, that we'd be willing to do as you would say. In Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the music begins to play. If God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. I think the message was clear. What a great message. The world needs to know about the Savior. I like that statement. We need to connect their culture to the Creator and warn them of coming judgment. It's really that simple. As the piano plays, the altar is open. My heart.
heart was stirred and encouraged by that message, challenged. Sometimes we think, boy, we have it tough. I don't mean to minimize our place where we are at all, but by no means are we in Athens, Greece, or even Athens, Ohio, here in Maslin. There's a great need there in Athens. I'm grateful for Brother Brother Matt Peachy and his family preaching the gospel there and being there and ministering. And We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. It's right here in our backyard. Oh, a couple hours away, yes. But a very needy area. invitation to a close and uh, thank you brother Matt Peach I appreciate that message what a blessing what encouragement and and I just I don't know a couple months ago I was really burdened for brother Peachy and the church down there and uh, and I thought I want to hear how things are going and I, I thought I'm gonna bring him up for our missions conference and uh, God really just put on my heart to just that we as a church could be a blessing a help an encouragement well how can we do that well you heard what he said tonight you know what we can do? We can we can pray for Brother Matt Peachy and his family. We can back them up in prayer. And uh, kind of like Brother Robbie Morrison preached on Sunday morning, bring them on their journey. And uh, we as a church, we can be a blessing by praying for them, uh, praying for his family, and uh, praying for the work down there, and just kind of every now and then say, well, I wonder how Brother Matt Peachy's doing, and I wonder how the work's going down there, and just be an encouragement and a help and a blessing to that work. And, uh, and I know, uh, you know, as a missionary, that was always a blessing to me when we'd get, uh, we'd get people that would let us know, hey, we're praying for you, we're praying for the work down there. And that was always a blessing and encouragement. And, uh, and I want to be that blessing. I want our church to be that blessing to that work there in Athens, Ohio. And uh, so I encourage you, uh, get with Brother Matt Peachy. Write down his kids' names, write down his wife's name, and pray and, and say, hey, I'm going to pray for you, and, uh, and pray for their family, and keep them on a list, and, and uh, keep them in, in your prayers, and uh, I know that they'll certainly appreciate that, all right? And uh, I'll try and keep up with that as well, and just stay on top of where they're at and what's going on down there, and, uh, and any way that we can be of a blessing or a help to them, uh, I think would be a, certainly a good thing. He's got to drive back tonight. He's got to be at work tomorrow very early. 
and uh, it's a good, what is it, a three-hour drive, two and a half hours, somewhere in there. And, uh, and so he's got to leave. Uh, so, so I want you to do this. I want you to talk to him. Uh, if he's been a blessing to you, go over and talk to him. But uh, try not to take all night, all right? And, uh, and don't tie him up all evening. And, uh, and, and, uh, and we, we need to get him on his way as well that he can, uh, that he can uh, get on his trip, and that would be good. So, uh, so if you'll do that, uh, that would be great. And then I need, I need two things. Well, just one thing, actually. I need a, a volunteer uh, for the past couple of weeks, we haven't had the front entryway vacuumed. And so if somebody uh, could could sign up for that place and do that, that would be wonderful. And we'll certainly appreciate that. All right. Uh, that's all we need to announce for now. Uh, let's, we'll, we'll dismiss and we'll see you back here on Sunday. God bless. So often he declined the invitation For Jesus Christ to cleanse and set him free But today he made his way down to the altar Knelt down a sinner but stood up redeemed Calvary wins again
Oh, can you start that again? He's looking at me because I didn't come up on that. <laughs> I got the evil eye. Because I just it's a block. Darkness overshadows the little village of his birth. His family all asleep. He lies alone. Gazing up toward heaven, a little tear falls to the earth. And he wonders if his sorrows here are no. His father sharp disdain. He lifts his hand and whispers in the night. If there's a God above, please send someone in love to comfort me and show me what is right. His brow was creased and wrinkled. Hands were calloused hard, his hair was gray, his body stooped with age. But his eyes possessed a twinkle, and his gaze shot through my heart. His voice was strong, he looked at me and said, The harvest fields are white, and I have labored all my life. Now who will go and stand in my place? The people there must hear that Jesus Christ is near. Step forward now, the work of God embrace. How will they hear? How will they know? How will they ever find the truth? five days.